Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to the Progressive Russian Podcast. This is a podcast with the opinion that progressive politics can change the world. I'm Henna Shah and I'm joined today by Progress Director Nathan Yole and MP Darren Jones, who's caught up with us over his lunch break. Hello to you both. How are you? Excited. Excited. Nathan? Uh, maybe a bit more trepidatious than excited, but it's uh, there's definitely a lot going on today. Okay, well, we've returned from our summer holidays and out of the proverbial frying pan straight into the fire. But luckily, we've got some people here to help us work out what's going on. So, Darren, it's been a bit busy as the past couple of days. What's going on at the moment? Well, today, Hannah, uh, is the first day back in Parliament officially, even though MPs have been speaking over the last few days on the telephone and some of us in Westminster uh, yesterday. Of course, we will be trying to win the votes on emergency legislation to stop a no-deal Brexit. And the Prime Minister last night said that if that happens, that he's going to call for a general election. So... We'll have to wait and see where we get to at the end of the week. It's exciting. It is. So thanks for that update, Darren. I mean, it's been very interesting actually watching things over the weekend and things are just changing sort of hour by hour almost. And I, I noticed that you were down back at home in Bristol this weekend. Obviously, there's clear, strong feelings on both sides, sort of inside and outside Parliament. So you were down uh, speaking at a demonstration mm-hmm. back at home. Mm-hmm. We were just wondering, what was the feeling there on the ground? So how, how are your constituents feeling um, down in Bristol? Well, the, the main thing that happened in Bristol, the thing that I was speaking at was the Stop the Coup demo, mm. um, which for, for a demonstration that hadn't been organised officially, saw over 4,000 people turn up to march through Bristol, uh, as well as in cities and towns across the country and in London too, to express people's anger at the Prime Minister's decision to prorogue Parliament, to essentially shut us for five weeks. And actually, regardless of people's views on Brexit, my sense from it was that people were just really annoyed at the kind of anti-democratic dishonesty of the whole thing. And they were outraged. Outrage is a word they were using a lot at the fact that, you know, they, through their elected MPs like me, were being shut out and closed down. And that's not a very British thing to do. Definitely not. So... Presumably had a chance to actually talk to some of the people out there in the crowd. So could you get a decent feel, actually? Was it cross-party or no party support there? Was it actually any particular political grouping organising out there on the ground or people coming uh, to demonstrate? Or was it just the feeling was coming from all sides? It was definitely cross-party, although I didn't see any uh, conservative politicians there. But the Green Party, the Liberal Democrats and the Labour Party were all there. Um, mm. And they were organising it together, kind of as it came together. Uh, but also the a political campaign group. So Bristol for Europe, for example, was one of the key uh, anti-Brexit groups was there organising it uh, uh, too. And I'd say it was because it was an anti-democratic 
anger that came from them that it wasn't didn't really matter whether you were a Green Party member or a Labour Party member. You know, we're all part of democratic politics in this country and we were being shut out of it. So if that's the case, then looking at potentially some of the logical extremes we're going to now with the, the, uh, the uncertainty in Westminster, do you think that bodes well for retaining more of a Remain, this Remain rebel alliance and actually how we can transfer that out to the people on the street to get them to hopefully vote vote for Remain parties if a, if a general election is called <laughs> in the next when. couple of days. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I really hope so. It seems like we're all pretty aligned now in the House of Commons in terms of the emergency legislation to stop a no-deal Brexit, mm. which is great because we have to be in order to win those crucial votes. What we don't yet know is whether that will translate into Remain Alliance candidates on the ballot at the next general election. Mm. And I don't just say this because it's a play in my constituency, but I would hope the Labour Party will play an important role with Liberal Democrats, Greens, Plaid, SNP uh, and others in making the case to work together in the seats where we're competitive so that together we're able to effectively challenge what's essentially going to be a Conservative and Brexit Party alliance at the next election. On that then, could you just sort of take a step back actually and for the listeners give us a bit of a Janet and John talk through what potentially is going to happen in Parliament this week? Sure. So we are talking today on Tuesday, so the first day that Parliament is back. We're going to, our application for an emergency debate, so mm-hmm. called a standing order 24 debate, went in last night. So the Speaker will decide today whether that's being granted. We expect that to be the case. Um, and that there'll then be a debate later today with a vote. Um, tomorrow, Wednesday, we then expect to go through the various stages of the emergency legislation in the House of Commons, uh, and then sending it down to the House of Lords uh, to get sorted um, on Thursday. Uh, and as much as possible, we want it to be a fairly clean and quick process. And this is really tight timescale stuff. Um, and no doubt the government will be trying to lob grenades in every part of the constitutional uh, processes through the Commons and the Lords to, to slow us down and knock us off course. Obviously, you mentioned the constitutional processes there. People talk about and use various words. We've gone from tumultuous to turbulent crisis. But obviously, there are significant constitutional implications and questions that are being raised by everything that's happening at the moment. I know you mentioned that you're at the Stop the Coup protests. Do you think we are seeing a coup or a coup-like event? And what do you think the longer-term constitutional impact of what's currently happening will be? Uh, yeah, I mean, some people are nervous about the word coup, but it's a very kind of British coup, not to steal a <laughs> phrase, in that basically the government is just ignoring constitutional norms in a way that is highly unusual and highly irregular. Um, that's why you've seen, you know, former Conservative Prime Ministers, senior Conservatives, uh, both in the Commons and the Lords and outside of Parliament, calling this out for what it is, which is a um, uh, which is an anti- anti-constitutional kind of affront from a Prime Minister who doesn't seem to care what the consequences are, as long as he can secure uh, essentially what looks to be like a no-deal Brexit. And what that means for the Constitution um, after this is kind of blown over. We will have to wait and see. I'm someone that has advocated for a while that we should start thinking about a written Constitution uh, so that we know in these types of situations actually what power the executive has versus parliament and perhaps even with the courts having more oversight about uh, how we apply the rules that we expect to see in this country. The problem at the moment is that with Dominic Cummins, who just seems to be a, a kind of a lunatic, um, and the prime minister, they're just ignoring everything and doing whatever they can. And um, how we enforce against an executive that is overreaching is proving difficult, not least because they've closed parliament down. Absolutely. And of course, it's not just the constitution, but political parties are affected too. We're seeing Conservative Party sort of in civil war. We saw Justin Greening this morning saying that Mm. she wouldn't stand again. Do you think that this could split the Conservative Party? I think this issue 
has always risked splitting the Conservative Party. I mean, Europe has always been a, an issue for mm. them, you know, longer than I've been alive that's been a defining issue for them. Uh, Nathan's looking at me to suggest <laughs> I'm older than I actually am. Uh, no, no, it's just uh, making me, me feel... Oh, okay. Oh, Listeners, well, they both look very young for however old they uh, are. Very fresh, very fresh. Um, uh, politics is not good, by the way, <laughs> if you want to keep that. But anyway, um, uh, so does it risk splitting the Conservative Party? Yes, it does. Um, uh, who knows where we'll end up? Who knows? Actually, off the back of that, because I've been thinking about it, you're, you're right. In a way, it's, it's surprising they haven't split on this issue before. But are we actually almost getting to some sort of big existential moment for, for mm. British politics, full stop? Because you think about it, this is potentially one of the most serious splits in the Conservative Party for 80, 90 years, 100 years potentially. Uh, the papers today are full of Ian Blackford and the SNP saying this is the moment where the second independence referendum is within reach. I think we all know from as from the Labour side, uh, all us nerds pouring over um, polling the way we do, that there's a much more subtle grassroots shift going on actually by the nature of Labour Party membership and Labour Party sort of uh, voting patterns on the ground. Do you think we're actually potentially getting to a point where politics across the piece, regardless of where you sit on the political spectrum, is going to be sort of ripped up potentially and all, all the pieces thrown up into the air? I think there's the potential for that. There's two There's two things in there. I think the first one is um, the way that political parties are uh, polarising um, and not acting as broad churches as much as they used to. Um, and, and, you know, we've seen in the in the Tory party this week a very clear line, which is, you know, you either back me or you're going to get deselected and kicked out of the party, um, which, uh, you know, is not a broad church approach to politics. Um, and obviously we have our own tensions in the Labour Party, certainly around trigger processes at the moment for um, certain colleagues in the Parliamentary Labour Party. And so it's kind of, it's happening in both parties. Will it break parties? I think it has the potential to, not least because it's part of this broader term potential change in politics, which is the, the argument that the British people are realigning around um, values that are at the moment exhibited through a remain leave lens, but actually maybe represents a changing shift in demographics and how they affiliate with political brands. Uh, and so, for example, you know, in, in my constituency, for example, in Bristol Northwest, we're seeing more Labour supporters from people who would never have been seen to have been Labour supporters in the past. And actually, we'll be losing some, you know, quote unquote, traditional Labour voters to perhaps to the Conservative Party. Now, you know, the analysis around the European um, referendum uh, was that uh, the main factors were kind of um, age and level of education, as opposed to income or class. The unknown here is whether that's then going to be cemented into then how people vote in the future. And if that is, then two things will happen. Either the parties will readjust and realign to their new supporter bases, um, or they will break and potentially new parties will come through the middle. That's going to be slower in the UK compared to other countries because of our voting system, which essentially is anti-competitive. Um, uh, but, you know, that won't be able to hold forever. So there's a huge amount of potential that we, that we need to properly understand. I guess actually this is something that you, you are right. It, it applies to both leave and remain, doesn't it? Because I think, what do you think the likelihood is if we have this election? Um, what is the likelihood of the scenario, do you think, of uh, Mr. Farage and Mr. Johnson doing some kind of deal and going to the country with a consolidated Brexit band? And how would we fare then if uh, if people, if those parties that are ostensibly remain don't actually band together and sort of fight them as a the critical threat that could be? So I think a Conservative Brexit Party alliance is highly probable even if they weren't to agree it formally in writing, it's kind of happening virtually anyway because of Boris Johnson's hardline view on Brexit. 
Um, and he would certainly be pushing the case that, you know, he will be delivering Brexit in the same way the Brexit party is offering. Um, uh, my sense is they'll end up doing a deal anyway, not least because, you know, Boris Johnson wants to stuff the House of Lords with a load more Brexit lords. And I, I'd be highly surprised if Nigel Farage isn't in that list somewhere. Um, the risk then to the rest of us, uh, you know, on the whole spectrum from, you know, people's vote remainers like me through to people who actually just want proper democracy uh, in our country is that if we split, they will just win. Um, and we've really got to come together and have a very frank and honest conversation with each other about where our strengths are, where our weaknesses are, and 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 not allow our kind of proudness to block the potential of working together in the face of uh, a Tory Brexit alliance, which is not just damaging on Brexit, but will be the hardest right-wing government probably in modern British history that will tear apart the norms on a whole host of other issues around our institutions, on the health service, what we expect around public services, our role in the world, the way we tackle issues like climate change and the issues that we care about. Uh, and that's a risk not just to those of us in the Labour Party, it's a risk to all of us who are um, uh, uh, democratic uh, progressive politicians from all shades of political parties. And we can't allow um, old hostilities to let us miss that um, uh, miss that opportunity to defeat them. Because if we do, then there'll be much longer term graver consequences for the country. Yeah, absolutely. And just quickly on that, um, if and when we do go into a general election period, what would that mean for the Labour Party's policy of sort of constructive ambiguity on Brexit? And we've seen Labour and we've been campaigning via Labour say to shift Labour Party policy over to backing a public vote because obviously the membership are overwhelmingly remain and we believe that that's a good reflection of the Labour Party's pro-internationalist values. But could that have a real threat for Labour MPs and leave seats? What do you think that would look like? So my sense is you've just got to be honest with the public, right? Uh, and we all agree that any form of Brexit that is currently available is bad for the country, either um, in terms of the shrinking economy and shrinking trade all the way through to the complete disaster of a no-deal Brexit. And I don't think you can triangulate your kind of political strategies around a foundation that is essentially not based in an honest assessment of what's right for the country. And that's why I've always argued for the fact that we should have been very clear from the beginning on our Brexit policy and what damage Brexit will cause to the country. Our policy position today, thankfully, is now very clear. You know, we support people's vote. We will campaign to remain in a people's vote. Um, uh, vote. Um, uh, going into a general election, I really hope that we don't waste any time um, or distract ourselves from trying to dilute that in any way, mm. because in doing so, essentially, we'll be handing over seats to opposition parties uh, who we should be working with. And as I just said, that will just ultimately mean that we all fail in the process. It's interesting, isn't there, that this now has an added dimension in terms of actually uh, some of the little local difficulties uh, that some of us have been having in the Labour Party <laughs> over, over recent months and how potentially this is going to up, up, upturn what we thought the status quo and the apple cart was there. So thinking about it now, the potential for MPs facing, uh, Labour MPs facing their triggers to actually go out there with a membership and be shoulder to shoulder fighting uh, for this issue that we know a lot of our, the, the overwhelming majority of Labour Party members are all in sync. But at the same time, Len McCluskey this week has said that he's seriously considering putting resources and putting support in behind potential leave voting Labour MPs, which I don't know, it's strange, isn't it, the way mm. that it's sort of everything's shifting all over the place. I mean, yes. I mean, my position in respects of Unite Statement um, is one of bewilderment, given the number of Unite organised workplaces in my constituency and surrounding Bristol in advanced manufacturing and aer aerospace in uh, automotive and chemical manufacturing. 
that would be shattered or is already being shattered as a consequence of Brexit would suggest to me that Unite ought to probably get behind um, our position um, more clearly. Um, but look, Len McCluskey is Len McCluskey. He will do and say what he wants to do, and that's up to him. Uh, you know, from my position representing my constituents in Bristol Northwest and what is Labour Party policy nationally, we'll continue to continue to do that. And I know that all of my colleagues will do the same too. That's a very sensible answer. I think just I've had my own moment of bewilderment this week. So I think listeners, as you might have already picked up, I'm a long, long-standing, potentially long-suffering member of Vauxhall CLP. <laughs> and obviously Kate Hoey this year has told us that after 30 years of being our representative, she's not standing again. Mm. But Twitter is now a froth at the possibility of Kate playing a game of will will she, won't she, well, with uh, ah. with both the residents of Vauxhall and potentially some other seat further afield where she's now claiming that she never said that she wouldn't stand um, as uh, under, under different colours at this election. So I guess it's watch this space to see what happens to Kate next. Absolutely. And we mentioned this last time, if we step back a little bit, you're doing lots of work with the Future Britain Group um, yep. and the Social Democratic wing of the party. Um, and actually one of the things that really binds us together around the side of the party is the issue of Europe. And obviously you must mention Len McCluskey. Um, and I think it'd be interesting to see on the left of the party what happens if there is a difference of opinion between Momentum and Unite on the issue of mm. Europe as the weeks progress. But... Um, what do you think we as progressive organisations within the Labour Party should be doing at this, which is a pivotal time when it actually feels like events to some extent can and will overtake us at literally any point? I mean, this is the real difficulty at the moment in that we've got quite a lot of work to do, but not a lot of time to do it. And if an election comes sooner than planned, of course, you have to shift your priorities around what work you are doing and what you want to achieve in the long term. Uh, Evidently, if there is an election, all of us ought to be focused on retaining Labour MPs and winning additional Labour MPs, I mean, just without question, um, and not least because of the no-deal Brexit threat from the, the Conservatives, and that should be our first and only priority. You know, the work we've been doing in the Future Britain group uh, on policy, for example, has to be, has, you know, has been, we've been doing some work over the summer on economic policy, um, on uh, crime and justice, uh, on education policy. And we have a lot of that ready to kind of go now, but we're probably mm. not going to go quite so quickly because, of course, if we've got an election, we all need to be focusing on that. Uh, for progressives in the Labour Party, uh, and this is probably the same conversation in the Conservative Party too, you know, you've got to make your case for what you think is right for the country uh, within your team, within your party. Um, uh, and, you know, some of us have disagreements with um, how far some of our policy goes uh, in terms of economic policy, perhaps, uh, and also some of our positioning on things like foreign policy and defence policy. Uh, we should never stop making the case for what we see as being a more progressive, pragmatic kind of centre-left approach, which we believe uh, is more likely to win the support of the British public at a general election than perhaps some other policies. And as I say, if a general election happens in the next six weeks, you know, we're not going to be doing policy pamphlet launches on economic mm. policy. Um, <laughs> but uh, we still need to keep making that case and doing the work because, of course, politics is about ideas. And we must all make sure that we're trying to come up with new ideas that meet the needs of the country as we find it, not as we might like it to be. Yeah, I just want to jump in. I, I agree with that 100%. And I think what's really Really encouraging looking at the work that Darren's doing with the Future Britain group, thinking of some of the work that we're doing in progress and actually other organisations out there is actually how we get through the next couple of months, uh, election or otherwise, um, and the aftermath of that if it happens. So I think something that is, there's a prize in sight now that 
those of us who would regard ourselves as progressives in the Labour Party, who've been here for a very long time, I think something we'd all agree, there's been a bit of a deficit of hope, mm. actually, for people in our wing of the party. Mm. I think there was an opportunity over the next three to six months of actually just getting, getting stuck in, working together, and actually start to think, what is that hopey, visiony thing that potentially we've been missing for the best part of a decade mm. now, and it's time for us actually to stand together and actually restate why we're in politics. What does it mean to be progressive in the House of Commons, in your parties, fundamentally uh, in your neighbourhoods with, uh, with your residents and other voters? And actually, how can we appeal to them and ensure, hopefully, that the future is progressive? I think we should leave that there. That's a very convenient place to wrap up on. Thank you both. And thank you for listening. Join us next week with another edition of Will There or Won't There Be a General Election? And in the meantime, please don't forget to subscribe, rate and review so we can get the word out about the podcast to more progressives. Thank you. Bye. You've been listening to the Progressive Britain podcast. The music was One in the West by Blue Dot Sessions, licensed under Creative Commons, and many thanks for our fantastic and long-suffering producer, Caroline Crampton. Mm-hmm.